Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, August 10th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith, Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listen over there. Definitely worth your while. So I would encourage you to go on over there. Um, over 60 well-curated podcasts, a very wide variety of topics. I will guarantee you will find something over there you want to listen to. I also want to continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. It is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. Uh, we are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative here in our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay's provided a pretty thorough description, a lot more thorough than I just gave you about what we're trying to do. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Well, we're going to be doing like we typically do on Thursdays. We're going to be doing our Bible reading, uh, continuing on in the book of Ezra and such. And then this for the evening segment, we're going to be continuing on in our in our Bible study of John 11. John 11. We should be finish We'll be finishing up part two of this section about the resurrection and the life. And God willing, Friday evening, we'll start part three, and then we'll continue it on next week. Like I said, God willing. But let's go ahead and open up. We're going to open up with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called the Giver. Let's pray creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things. We cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear, allure us into thy presence, Help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy and the bounties of nature in the fullness of thy providence in the revelations of scripture in the gift of thy son in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state. And by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, and our morning devotional from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for August 10th, 
Uh, the text for it is Colossians is from Colossians 3, 4. Christ, who is our life. Paul's marvelously rich expression indicates that Christ is the source of our life. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That same voice which brought Lazarus out of the tomb raised us to newness of life. He is now the substance of our spiritual life. It is by his life that we live. He is in us the hope of glory, the spring of our actions, the central thought which moves every other thought. Christ is the sustenance of our life. What can the Christian feed upon but Jesus' flesh and blood? This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. O wayworn pilgrims in, the, in this wilderness of sin, you never get a morsel to satisfy the hunger of your spirits, except ye find it in him. Christ is the solace of our life. All our true joys come from him, and in type, excuse me, and in times of trouble, his presence is our consolation. There is nothing worth living for but him, and his loving kindness is better than life. Christ is the object of our life, as speeds the ship toward the port, so haste the believer towards the haven of his Savior's bosom. As flies the arrow to its goal, so flies the Christian towards the perfecting of his fellowship with Christ Jesus. As the soldier fights for his captain and is crowned in his captain's victory, so the believer contends for Christ and gets his triumphs out of the triumphs of his master. For him to live is Christ. Christ is the exemplar of our life. Where there is the same life within, there will, there must be, to a great extent, the same developments without. And if we live in near fellowship with the Lord Jesus, we shall grow like him. We shall set him before us as our divine copy, and we shall seek to tread in his footsteps until he shall become the crown of our life and glory. Oh, how safe, how honored, how happy is the Christian, since Christ is our life. All right. So, like I said, we're going to be continuing on in Ezra this morning. So our reading for today is going to be Ezra 10, 1 Corinthians 6. Psalm 31, continuing on there, um, verses 9 through 18, and then Proverbs 21, verse 3. So Ezra 10. Now while Ezra was praying and making confession, weeping and prostrating himself before the house of God, a very large assembly, men, women, and children, gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God and have married foreign women, from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. So now let us cut a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility, but we will be with you. Be strong and act. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra arose from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib. He went there, but he did not eat bread nor drink water, for he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the exiles that they should gather at Jerusalem, and that whoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the prince and the elders, all his possessions should be devoted to destruction and he himself separated from the assembly of the exiles. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth of the month, and all the people sat 
in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and the heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest arose and said to them, You have been unfaithful and have married foreign wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. So now make confession to Yahweh the God of your fathers, and do his will, and separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, This is so, as you have said, so it is our duty to do. But there are many people, it is the rainy season, and we are not able to stand outside, nor can the task be done in one or two days, for we have to transgress greatly in this matter. Let our princes stand in for the whole assembly, and let all those in our cities who have married foreign wives come at set times, together with the elders and judges of each city, until the burning anger of our God on account of this matter is turned away from us. However, Jonathan the son of Asahel, and Jaziah the son of Tikva, stood against this, with Meshulam and Shebathai the Levite helping them. But the exiles did so, and Ezra the priest separated out men who were heads of fathers' households for each of their fathers' households, all of them by name. So they convened on the first day of the tenth month to investigate the matter. And they completed investigating all the men who had married foreign wives by the first day of the first month. Among the sons of the priests who had married foreign wives were found of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and his brothers, Messiah, Eliezer, Jerib, and Jedalia. They gave their hand in pledge to put away their wives, and being guilty, they offered a ram of the flock for their guilt. Of the sons of Immer, there were Hanani and Zebediah, and of the sons of Haram, Messiah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jehiel, and Uzziah, and of the sons of Peshur, Elioni, Messiah, Ishmael, Nethanel, Josabad, and Elasa. Of Levites, there was Josabad, Shemi, Kelaiah, that is, Kalita, Pathahiah, Judah, and Eliezer. Of the singers, there was Eliashib, and of the gatekeepers, Shalem, Telem, and Uri. Of Israel, of the sons of Parosh, there were Ramiah, Isaiah, Malkijah, Mijamin, Eleazar, Malkijah, and Benaiah. And of the sons of Elam, Madaniah, Zechariah, Jehiel, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Elijah. And of the sons of Zatu, Elioni, Eliashib, Madaniah, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Aziza. And of the sons of Bebai, Jehohanan, Hananiah, Zabai, and Athli. And of the sons of Bani, Meshulam, Maluk, and Adaiah, Jeshub, Sheel, and Jeremoth. And of the sons of Pehath Moab, Adna, Chelal, Benaiah, Masaiah, Madaniah, Bezalel, Benui, and Manasseh, and of the sons of Harim, Eliezer, Ishijah, Malkijah, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Maluk, and Shemariah, and of the sons of Hashum, Matani, Matata, Zabad, Eliphalet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and Shemi, and of the sons of Bani, Maadai, Amram, Uel, Benaiah, Bedaiah, Chaluhi, Vaniah, Merimoth, Eliashib, Madaniah, Madani, Jasu, Bani, Benwi, Shmi, Shalamiah, Nathan, Adaiah, Machnadebai, Shashai, Sharai, Azarel, Shalamiah, Shemariah, Shalem, 
Amariah, and Joseph of the sons of Nebo, there were Jael, Mattathiah, Zabad, Zabina, Jedi, Joel, and Benaiah. All these had taken up foreign women as wives, and some of them have wa had wives by whom they had children. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6 Does any one of you, when he has a case against another, dare to be tried before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not worthy to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint those who are of no account in the church as judges? I say this to your shame. Is it really this way? There's not one wise man among you who will be able to pass judgment between his brothers. On the contrary, brother is tried with brother, and that before unbelievers. Actually, then, it is already a failure for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, for me but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral man sins against his own, excuse me, his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Alright, Proverbs 31, verses 9, was it 9 through 18. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is worn down with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Among all my adversaries I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the bad report of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Yahweh. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who pursue me. Make your face to shine upon your slave. Save me in your loving kindness. 
O Yahweh, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with lofty pride and contempt. Finally, Proverbs 21, verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is chosen by Yahweh over sacrifice. All right, well, that is our reading for this morning. I thank you for taking this time this morning to spend this time with me. I'm very, very blessed by it. Um, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. Um, and I hope to see you this evening. I hope you come along for the evening segment as well. All right, let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Uh, the one we're going to close out with is called Mortification. Let's pray. O divine lawgiver, I take shame to myself for open violations to thy law, for my secret faults, my omissions of duty, my unprofitable attendance upon means of grace, my carnality in worshiping thee, and all the sins of my holy things. My iniquities are increased over my head, my trespasses are known in the heavens, and there Christ is gone also, my advocate with the Father, my propitiation for sins, and I hear his word of peace. At present, it is a day of small things with me. I have light enough to see my darkness, a sensibility enough to feel the hardness of my heart, spirituality enough to mourn my want of a heavenly mind. But I might have had more. I ought to have had more. I have never been strained and straightened in thee. Thou hast always placed before me an infinite fullness, and I have not taken it. I confess and bewail my deficiencies and backslidings. I mourn my numberless failures, my incorrigibility under rebukes, my want of profiting under ordinances of mercy, my neglect of opportunity for usefulness. It is not with me as in months past. O recall me to thyself and enable me to feel my first love. May my improvements correspond with my privileges. May my will accept the decisions of my judgment. My choice be with that which conscience, appro conscience approves, and may I never condemn myself in the things I allow. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, August 10th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be continuing on this evening in our study of John, uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 11, where the death and resurrection of Lazarus, uh, this section that uh, John MacArthur calls the resurrection and the life. So we're going to be continuing on it. We're going to, we should be wrapping up part two of that. We'll talk about the parts uh, tonight, and then we should pick up in part three, God willing, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night. So let's go ahead and open up. We'll jump right in. We're going to open up with a prayer called Consecration and Worship. Let's pray. My God, I feel it is heaven to please thee and to be what thou wouldst have me be. Oh, that I were holy as thou art holy, pure as Christ is pure perfect as thy spirit is perfect. These, I feel, are the best commands in thy book. And shall I break them? Must I break them? Am I under such a necessity as long as I live here? Woe, woe is me that I am a sinner, that I grieve this blessed God, who is infinite in goodness and grace. 
Oh, if he would punish me for my sins, it would not wound my heart so deep to offend him. But though I sin continually, he continually repeats his kindness to me. At times I feel I could bear any suffering, but how can I dishonor this glorious God? What shall I do to glorify and worship this best of beings? Oh, that I could consecrate my soul and body to his service, without restraint, forever. Oh, that I could give myself up to him, so as to never more to attempt to be my own, or have any will or affections that are not, I'm sorry, any will or affections that are not perfectly conformed to his will and his love. But alas, I cannot live and not sin. Oh, may angels glorify him incessantly, and if possible, prostrate themselves lower before the blessed King of heaven. I long to bear a part with them in ceaseless praise. But when I have done all, I can't, when I have done all I can to eternity, I shall not be able to offer more than a small fraction of the homage that the glorious God deserves. Give me a heart full of divine, heavenly love. Amen. All right. And our evening devotion, uh, the text for it comes from Matthew 9, 6. The Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Behold, one of the great physician's mightiest arts, he has power to forgive sin. While here he lived below, before the ransom had been paid, before the blood had been literally sprinkled on the mercy seat, he had power to forgive sin. Hath he not power to do it now that he hath died? What power must dwell in him who to the utmost farthing was faithfully discharged, I'm sorry, has faithfully discharged the debts of his people? He has boundless power now that he has finished transgression and made an end of sin. If ye doubt it, see him rising from the dead. Behold him in ascending splendor, raised to the right hand of God. Hear him pleading before the Eternal Father, pointing to his wounds, urging the merit of his sacred passion. What power to forgive is here? He hath ascended on high, and received gifts from men. He is exalted on high, to give repentance and remission of sins. The most crimson sins are removed by the crimson of his blood. At this moment, dear reader, whatever thy sinfulness, Christ has power to pardon power to pardon thee and millions such as thou art. A word will speak it. He has nothing more to do to win thy pardon. All the atoning work is done. He can, in answer to thy tears, forgive thy sins today and make thee know it. He can breathe into thy soul at this very moment a peace with God which passeth all understanding, which shall spring forth, I'm sorry, which will spring from perfect remission of thy manifold iniquities. Dost thou believe that? I trust thou believest it. Mayest thou experience now the power of Jesus to forgive sin. Waste no time in applying to the physicians of souls, but hasten to him with words like these. Jesus, Master, hear my cry. Save me, heal me with a word. Fainting at thy feet I lie. Thou my whispered plaint hast heard. All right. Well, that is the morning or the evening devotion. And let's get on to our uh, Bible study. So, again, we're, we're in uh, John chapter 11. This is the section about uh, the death and resurrection of Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus by Jesus. Um, and again, uh, MacArthur calls this the resurrection and the life, which makes sense because like we saw, um, I believe it was last evening um, when he's speaking to Martha, Jesus makes that clear claim. I am the resurrection and the life. So it was that fifth I am statement that we see from him. So let's go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and read our verses and then we'll just dive right in. So um, let me see. We're going to be going from John 11:28. 28. 
So let's see, I'll, I'll read from 27. So this is Martha with Jesus in 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, the one who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews, who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, thinking that she was going to the tomb to cry there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her crying, and the Jews who came with her also crying, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. All right. Those are our verses for the day. So again, we, we've, we've seen this. So like, like we were talking about, so this is kind of broken up. At least MacArthur breaks it up. And I think it's a valid breakup. Uh, the way we approach this is, um, we've with this resurrection and the life, the, the beginning segment of it, um, verses one through verse 16 was, um, kind of the before, before Jesus arrived, um, before Jesus arrived and it kind of lays out what we're looking at. Um, the, the, and, um, MacArthur calls it the sickness for the glory of God. And we saw the critical man. We saw Lazarus, that critical man. And we saw the concerned sisters, Martha and Mary, who sent off the message to Jesus saying, the one you love is sick. So again, Jesus didn't know he was dead. Well, didn't know from the message through his omniscience. He did know, but then we saw the cautious disciples there. Um, and that's when Jesus had decided, listen, we're going back into Judea. And they're like, wait a minute. They just tried to kill you. So again, that brings up the point. And I've been, I've been hammering home the last couple of nights. We've got to realize this is all happening at a point where the Jews and remember I've, I've read that. I've said that, read that word multiple times in these passages when John the Apostle uses that term, he is referring to the Jewish religious leadership. Okay, he's not talking to the average the average Jew wandering the street. He's talking about the Jewish leadership. That's how he uses that term repeatedly, and we know that from context. So they are there. We we see that um, as he arrives, when he shows up, when Jesus shows up, we saw that as we got into that second, that second segment, which is the arrival of Jesus, Jesus arrives. And then our third segment, which hopefully we'll start tomorrow, God willing, that we'll start tomorrow is Jesus actually performing the miracle itself. And then we'll have a fourth segment after that, again, God willing, that is the aftermath of the miracle. But so we've gotten into this second section, the, the arrival of it. And we saw that the first couple of verses that he shows up, his coming as he gets there. And then we saw his claims last night. We dealt with his claims in his conversation with Martha. You know, Martha comes out to him there. Um, he hadn't made it into Bethany yet. Like we talked about, Bethany is not, not even two miles from Jerusalem. And the Jews, these religious leaders who have been hostile to the point of wanting to kill Jesus, have come there as we talked about. Obviously, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus's family were well known. Um, I don't want to say popular because that that word really doesn't fit. But again, are 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 well known, well off, 
Thus, people came to mourn with them. So I realized I hadn't really explained this kind of thing to you, and, and it kind of applies here. So even the poorest of family would hire at least one instrumentalist, and I think one, I think that's what I was reading, and, and at least one professional crier, mourner, to participate in the mourning. you got to realize this mourning for somebody who'd passed was a huge thing. I mean, it was a huge thing and a huge practice. And repeatedly in here, we're going to see where in our English, it's translated to somebody crying. The Greek word behind that is, is a wailing, a, a wailing. And, 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 you know, we see for Martha and Mary, it's a true disconsolate wailing. They've lost their brother who they love and, and seemingly kind of suddenly. But it, it also applies and, and makes clear that in some cases it is a professional wailing, a wailing as in the person who professionally wails and mourns for different funerals, for different people that are passing away. And the fact is, the, these, these Jews, I mean, some of them may be showing up because they knew the family and knew them well enough, but some of them probably showing up just to be professional whalers. I mean, that's the thing. We've got to realize there are professional whalers here, and they're from Jerusalem. I mean, if they're the, the Jews, that Jewish leadership, they've come from Jerusalem, which puts Jesus in even more danger. But Jesus knew this was going to happen. He knew they were going to come. I mean, the fact is he knows how well off. Martha and Mary and Lazarus are and and the connections they have. I mean, he's known that. He's known them for years. He knows that, so he he knows they're going to show up. So that's what he's walking into. But we saw him, we saw Martha, you know, if you'd been here my brother would not have died. But we see her 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 still believing. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now even there she's not talking about raising him back from the dead. And of course, like we saw, we saw the exchange that Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha's like, well, I know he'll rise again in the judgment, you know, and, and which is what, what we would hope for all of us. I mean, for, for all of our family, that they would rise again in the, at the judgment and rise again to salvation, rise again to eternity in heaven, not damnation. Okay. So she knows that, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. So this his, I am the resurrection and the life that I am statement, he who believes in me will live even if he dies, meaning that the person who physically dies will be resurrected. That's his point there. But verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. Spiritual death will never die the spiritual death. Do you believe in the nasty? You believe this? And this was then we get to that verse that I read to you. I went ahead and read it and then led into our verse for today. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, the one who comes into the world. So she's made a very clear profession of who Jesus is. Okay. So showing clear saving faith there. So our verses for today, verse 28. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So, you know, we don't, we don't know the full conversation and everything, but we have to think Martha knew how these, how this Jewish leadership has been responding to Jesus. They, I mean, there's no way she didn't know this was going on. And so she secretly goes to her sister and says, Hey, the master's here. The master is out here. The teacher is here and is calling for you. Raboni is here 
and is calling for you. Thus, you know, to, to try to give Mary the chance to go see him, one, to have some private time, but two, to maybe get her to be able to see him without the Jewish leadership showing up. Maybe giving him a little bit of leeway there. Of course, sorry, I forgot to mute that again. That's two days in a row. Um, but unfortunately, so, so we see Mary respond very quickly. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. So again, oh, so I realized I just blew by something. So again, when, when we saw during Martha's, the part about Martha, um, that we were looking at Jesus's claims there and Mary stayed in the house, she was staying there wailing. I mean, that was part of the whole morning process. Okay. She wasn't just lazing around the house. This was part of the morning process there, but she gets up. Raboni is here. He's not in the house. I'm going to get up and go see him. And she gets, and we see it. She gets up quickly and goes to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, verse 30, but was still in the place where Martha met him. So he's not rushing in to the village. Again, probably, though he's in God's timetable, he's coming along to go see Lazarus. He's not about coming on into the house and joining into all the mourners and all that stuff. He's coming to see Lazarus. That's his point. That's why he hasn't come any farther into town. But, and here's God's planning. Then the Jews, again, that Jewish leadership, that religious leadership, who were with her in the house and consoling her, that's what the professional mourners were there for. When they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, thinking that she was going to the tomb to cry there. So they were going there to support her there. I mean, and that's what mourners did. If the family went to the tomb to cry, they went with them there. They cried with them in the house. You know, whatever it was, they mourned. And I mean, they wailed. So they went with her to do that. Now, admittedly, this was all in the open. And the fact is, professional mourners tended to get patted on the back. Oh, look, you did such a good job mourning for this person, even if they didn't know the person. I mean, even if, even if they didn't care, they were out there. It was a show. Okay. It, it wasn't really, I mean, Mary and Martha, we know are weeping and there may have been some that knew their family well enough, knew Lazarus well enough that, that, that this really affected them, but there are enough there that were doing it professionally. But like I said, here's God's plan. So. So far, Jesus has showed up relatively in secret. But God, through Mary going out, these Jewish leaders see her and follow her. They're going to be witnesses of this miracle of resurrection. Like I've said before, all the testimony of Christ, the testimony of the scriptures, the testimony of, of his works, the testimony of God himself have made clear that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And as I've talked, the spiritual blindness that is manifested from John five till this point is horrific and has, and has made th these, and, and, and please, I don't say this to say it takes away their culpability, but has made these leaders, these religious leaders into this hateful, hostile, murderous group of people towards him. But they already have all the proof they need. Jesus doesn't need to provide any other proof that he is the son of God. But they're going to get hit in the face with it. 
that's why God had them led out there by Mary, though they didn't realize that. They thought they were coming to support her. But verse 32, Therefore when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, showing showing her true um, despondency that her brother is dead, showing, showing true mourning. I mean, this is not the false mourning that some of the other the mourners are doing, but Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, showing herself that she has a true understanding of the fact that Jesus, and, and, and she's respectful. She calls him Lord. Okay. And this is not a polite Lord. This is, you are my Lord. I like when Martha says, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, the one who comes into the world, that Lord, you are my Lord. You are the Lord of my life. But if you had been here, my brother would not have died. True, true knowledge of the fact that he could have healed him. But again, not quite making that full grasp that not only could he heal him, but he can bring him back. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her crying, and the Jews who came with her also crying, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. So let me clarify this because I've always kind of misunderstood this. So again, this crying, um, her crying, a true, a true, I miss my brother. I'm so sad that he's dead kind of crying. But the same term, the Jews who came with her also crying again, professional mourners, professional mourning. So like I said, some of them may truly have missed, missed Lazarus and knew him very, very well, very close to him. And we're crying, but a lot of them were professional ones. They were professional whalers. Okay. We've got to remember that, that, that was kind of the thing then, um, even if they weren't paid, but they were coming to wail with the family, whether they knew the person or not. But it's this last part of this verse that I've always misunderstood. It says he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Okay. The Greek there. When we see it in other places through the New Testament, it is an indication of anger, of being roiled up, of being angry, of being the, the of was troubled, of being troubled and upset by what's going on. Not in a, oh, you're making me sad, which we're going to see in verse 35, where it says Jesus wept, but he is troubled and upset by the behavior that's going on here by the behavior that's going on here. Because again, this Jewish leadership, it's all false. It's all false. Absolutely no grasp. And the fact is he's standing there. He's standing there and they see him there. And we, as we'll see in verse 34, they see him there. They know for a fact, all the miracles he's already done. And there's just absolutely the anger he's manifesting is an anger and a frustration at the Jewish people, at the, at the Israelite people. Because this three years of ministry that he has done has changed that kingdom, has changed that area in decidedly visible ways. You, you realize that in his travels, he's basically eradicated all disease. He's eradicated all disease. Disease has gone away. Now it'll come back when he's gone, but disease has gone away. He's eradicated it. 
He's basically eradicated infant death. He's eradicated all these things to where these people, you know, who regularly dealt with not living very long, dying very young. I'm talking, you know, 10 years old or less, um, you know, children had to almost get near adulthood where they were marrying off before you really considered them as being viable. I mean, it was that bad and that dangerous. He has eliminated all of that. And, and that news has gone all over the place. And on top of that, he's preached forgiveness. He's preached clearly that you don't have to sit there and try to try to be equal to this perfect law that you have no capability to be there, be that. That in God's grace and mercy, he has provided a way for you to be saved for you to go to heaven, which was core for them. That, that was their, that was, that was the chief focus of their lives to go to heaven. But they had always been taught had already been always been shown to them. And of course the Pharisees had, had gotten even worse about it, that you've got to meet this perfect law, this perfect Mosaic law which they can't do. They're, they're not capable of. Nobody was, not even the Pharisees. I mean, that's why Jesus, we saw it at the one time, said, do what they teach you, but not what they do, because they're not even meeting it. But do what they teach you, because they're teaching you correctly. But again, his frustration is at the fact that with the changes he has made in here and the miracles that he's done and that have been published, I mean, not, not through the internet or print or anything, but, but you can't, please don't misunderstand and think that that whole area and far outside that area had not heard of what Jesus was doing and the miracles he was doing in such a way that they were credible. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm hearing about this weird guy over here that's done a few things, but I don't think they happen. Oh no, no, no. They're hearing them from credible sources that this man has done this. He has changed that part of the world in his three years of public ministry. Yet they're wailing at this man that he loves, that they know he loves, which we'll see in verse 36, which we won't deal with, or actually we do, which we deal with today. They know he loves him. He's done all of this. He's manifested the power of creation and healing the man born blind in John 9 by giving him sight. He didn't fix. He replaced and gave him sight. But they don't believe and it troubles him. They're not getting it. So he goes on verse 34. And he said, Jesus just said, he goes, where have you laid him? I need to go to him. And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And they went to lead him. And then we see verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, let me clarify something. And I didn't know this either. And this is what took the study. The word used here for wept is not the same one used for Mary and Martha's crying or for these Jews or these professional, the Jews, religious leaders, or these professional mourners for crying. This is a quiet bursting into tears, a, a, a quiet to yourself bursting into tears. He's weeping for those people. I mean, he's weeping. He's weeping the, the, at, at sin, at how sin has done this and has put this person he loves in the ground, has made that even necessary and made it even necessary for him to show them 
that he is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why he weeps. That's why he weeps. I mean, he weeps because his friend had to go through that and, and had to go through the sickness and stuff. But he weeps more because of the sin that brings that, that has brought that about. That sin that manifests constantly and is still manifesting in that, in that kingdom in Israel there who are supposed to be the chosen of God and obviously don't manifest that. So verse 36, so the Jews were saying, see how he loved him because they saw him crying and he did. And it was a manifestation of him, of his loving him, but it was also a manifestation of him loving, loving those in Israel, loving those in the world and, and an anger and a frustration and a sad sadness and a mourning for the fact that sin brings this about. And, and honestly, I, I, I have to stop and think Tara and I, um, we relatively recently, it's been within the last couple of months, had to put down one of our dogs and it's just a dog, but it's a dog that, that we had had for 12 years, 11 years, 12 years that we loved very, very much. It's not the first animal we've had to put down, um, but is the most recent. It's been a long while. Oh, it's, it's been since 2020, since before the, right before the pandemic, um, which was not any fun, but that was something totally different, but to put her down and she had had a long life. She's 15 years old, but at the same time, as sad as we were to put her down, we were angry. We were angry, but we, but we wept and both feelings were driven by the fact Tara, my, my wife said it flat out. She goes, I hate sin because sin causes this, you know? And, and of course we go, Oh, well, it's just a dog, but it does without sin. There is no death without sin. There was no death without, and, and, and we don't hate Adam. I mean, we would have done the same thing. It's not that we don't hate Adam and Eve. It's not that kind of stuff. Like trying to blame a person. We hate sin. That's, that's honestly, we've sat and talked about it before. And I've talked about it with other folks about it is what we look forward to most truthfully and going to heaven is no more sin and thus no more the curse of sin. And so we see Jesus here crying for that sin, crying about that sin, manifesting that compassion, both for that family. I mean, he's, he's crying for Mary and he's crying for Martha and he's crying for Lazarus that they've had to go through this and anybody else that is truly, truly, um, affected, emotionally affected by this. But he is also crying at the fact that sin is what brought this about both what happened to that family and what has led to these professional mourners out here. And in some case, these Jew, this Jewish leadership, that it's all about show. And we've seen that before. We see that it's all about show. It's about, look at me. Oh, look, look, I've got the longer tassels. I have the good place at the, at the, uh, the best play, best seats in the synagogue. Oh, look. Yeah. I was invited over to Lazarus's house. You know, when he, when he passed away, his sisters invited me or, or I was accepted in there. Maybe they didn't invite him, but they accepted me in there. Oh, look, you know, Hey, look at me. I'm special. That's what he was weeping about. 
and manifested that compassion at what sin did to them. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. I hope you have a wonderful night. I thank you for spending this time with me. I hope it continues to edify and equip you um, and to keep you saturated in the word. Um, And let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection, protection. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith. Perceiving nothing in ourselves, may we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again. Thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I appreciate it very much. I hope you have a wonderful evening and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Mm-hmm.